Hebrews chapter 5. We're looking at Christ as being better. Better than everything. And remember, these Hebrews, these Jewish believers are <clears throat> wavering. They're one, wondering if they've really gotten the good deal they thought they had because they're missing all of the old way and they're looking back longingly to the leeks and the onions. And <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews, just this, this wonderful uh, pounding a nail in, <clears throat> blow by blow, he's telling them, no, Christ is better, Christ is better, Christ is far better than anything uh, the Old Testament, than anything the Jewish ritual had to offer. Today we're going to look at the fact that Christ is better than the Levitical priesthood. Uh, Christ is better than the priesthood. You see, they had priests. Very important part uh, of, of the Jewish culture and of the Jewish religion was they had a priest because the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year and he would make atonement for the sins of the people. So he was a very important person to them. Their, their being right with God depended on a high priest. It depended upon this man uh, that was chosen from among uh, the, <clears throat> the, the Levitical priesthood, and he was made the high priest, and it depended upon him because he was the one that really represented them uh, to God. And so huge to them. And figureheads are very important to us. People are very important to us. And looking at people, but what the writer is saying is, I know, but you've got something far better. You've got Jesus. He's a much better high priest. And we're going to see that. We're going to particularly see that he's a high priest made perfect by suffering. That's where we're going to park today. We're going to look at the fact that he is a high priest made perfect by suffering. We're going to read the chapter, though, uh, Hebrews chapter 5. And then we will <clears throat> look to the, our message for this morning. Hebrews 5 and verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And you know, one of the points that they liked about their high priest was he's just a man. He's just like us. It's, you know, he, he can feel what it's like because he's a sinner too. And, he, and, and he, he can feel what it's like for us. And they, they were attached to that idea. And by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also uh, himself, for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh his honor on himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he's quoting from the Psalms there. You're a priest forever uh, after the order of Melchizedek. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him uh, from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. By the way, the next passage, the next three verses are one of the five warnings that we find in the book of Hebrews. Look what it says. For when he was, <clears throat> for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. 
For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their sense exercised to discern both good and evil. And we're to be mature believers, able to handle the strong meat of the word. All of us are. Christianity is not a a superficial, surface religion that kind of touches you in your happy spot and makes you feel good once a week, but you go and you live uh, the rest of your week, uh, whatever way you live. No, Christianity is something that grips your soul. And you come to grips with who he is and what he is and how he deals in lives. And you live in the light of that, not just this week, but for eternity. But it takes us grappling with the realities of the word of God uh, to come to that place and to do that. That's a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this people. Now, Lord, would you bless us as we look to your word. Help us to lay hold upon truth, Lord, that uh, is going to sustain us, Lord, is going to go deep for us, is going to help us, Lord, as we look to you, to honor you and to glorify you and to live lives, Lord, that are worthy of you because of all that you've done uh, in, for, and through us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. (coughs) All right, first thing we're looking at this morning... (coughs) Uh, is the fact that Jesus is a better priest than the Levitical priesthood. And Hebrews 3, 4, and 5 there, we've just read it. But basically, why is he a better priest? The Levitical priest had to deal with his own sin too. Jesus had no sin to deal with. Jesus had no sin of his own. That made him a perfect priest. But every Levitical priest, every priest that went into the Holy of Holies went in to offer sacrifice, to make the sacrifice for his own sin too. But not Jesus. Jesus was sinless. He was not only the perfect high priest, but he was the perfect sacrifice because he he was sinless. And the Levitical priest would die. They had a constant rotation because the men died. The men got old and grew old in their ministry and they died. But you know what? Jesus was to be a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He... um, Let's look at that phrase there. Uh, A priest after the order of Melchizedek. As he saith also in another place, he's quoting from the Psalms, thou art the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to look at Melchizedek. The writer of Hebrews is going to devote a lot of time uh, to to dealing with this uh, issue of Melchizedek, and it's important to us that we actually understand it. But we're not going going to spend too much time uh, dealing with it right now. But in Genesis chapter 14, there's three verses. Uh, Abraham's coming back from a battle, and Melchizedek, uh, the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem, comes to him, uh, bringing bread and wine, and um, he honors Abraham, and Abraham honors him and pays him tithes, gives him a tithe, tenth of all that he had taken uh, in it, and he is the high priest. Now, what that's saying to the Jew is this, right? You know know the way you look back and you think you see Abraham as being the father of your nation? The, the beginning, the, uh, the originator of your, of your nation, which he was. Do you know that Melchizedek was higher than him? And Jesus is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I, it's, just, it's just plain, plain and simple, the point. Listen, he is better. He is better than Melchizedek, right? Now, point three. Now, you're thinking, oh, great, he's flying we're going to be done in a couple of minutes. Now, point three is really what the message is about this morning. This is where we're going to park with it. Because what you've got is you've got some of the most 
the, the, the strangest verses that you can deal with in Scripture uh, here. Look what it says, Hebrews 5, 7. Uh, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Two thoughts. Jesus offered up prayers with strong crying and tears. What does that do to you? Jesus, your Savior, to these Jews, your high priest, offered up prayers with strong crying and tears. Oh, so your high priest could identify with you because he was a sinner too. And when he went in, he went in to offer for his own sins. Well, Jesus offered up prayers with strong crying and tears. Now, it's talking about the garden. Now, let me read you just some of the verses uh, from the garden, from Luke. Uh, Saying, Father, if thou be willing, Jesus in the garden with the disciples, remove this cup from me. Do you know that when it came to the cross, Jesus wanted nothing to do with it? Who would? Who in their right minds would want anything to do with the cross? When it came to the cross... Jesus' flesh went into rebellion. Remember, what what we have in Jesus is we have 100% man and 100% God. We have God and we have man complete. And and Jesus thought of the cross and and thought of all that it would mean to him. And his flesh said, no, don't want to go there. Don't want that. We'll look at all the reasons why he would have thought that in a a moment. But his flesh said, no, I I don't want to go there. And so he prayed. And he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Father, if you're willing, will you take this cup away? I don't want it. I don't want to die. I don't want to trouble. I don't want all that's caught up in it. I don't want it. Lord, could you do it some other way? Could you Take this away from me. Could, could you just have another way? It kind of pictures back the story of Abraham in, in um, Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham is told to take Isaac and to bring him into a mountain that I shall show you and to, to sacrifice him there. And Abraham goes up the mountain uh, with his son, with Isaac. He takes Isaac up to the top of the mountain and he... And he, he he, he, he prepares the wood. He, he's brought the wood with him. He, he binds Isaac. He puts him on, on the altar. And, and, and he raises the knife to kill Isaac. And God says, lay not thy hand upon the child. Don't hurt him. I just wanted to know if you would do it. I wonder, did Jesus think at this moment, maybe, 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 maybe right now he's going to say it's okay. I just wanted to know if you really would. I wanted to know if you would really go through with this. And he, he comes to the cross. And remember, it, it must have been wonderful to, to, to be human and to know all things, except in these moments. Except in the moments when you looked forward to what was going to happen to you over the next couple of days and, 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 and you could see it all. You could feel it all. You had to go through it every time you closed your eyes and looked at what was going to happen. And remember, Jesus was fully aware that he was going to the cross all his life. And now the moment has come, and now the moment is there. And 
And his flesh is saying, no, please, no. Is there not another way? Is there not some other way? Is there not some other way that we could do this, that I don't have to go through all this? Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. See, our passage tells us that Jesus learned obedience. How did Jesus learn obedience? I mean, we teach our children obedience, don't we? Because they have in them that desire to do wrong, and they do wrong, so we teach them obedience. But how did Jesus learn obedience? How did Jesus learn? the, the, The word underneath it is the idea of submission. How did he learn that submissive Obedience. How how can you teach deity anything? How can you teach God anything? How can you teach him obedience? You see, the story of Jesus' life this far has been obedience. He's lived an obedient life. I do always those things, the things of my Father. My, My meat is to do the will of my Father. You know, I never do my own thing. I always do what my Father wants me to do. Well, up to now, let me say this, reverently, right? It had kind of been easy to do his father's will. Up to now, he had done things that were wonderful and exciting, and he was always the winner. He could walk into a crowd and heal everybody. That was wonderful. He could walk, into a, walk up to a blind man and say, okay, you can have your sight, and the blind man would see. He could walk up to somebody who couldn't speak and he could have them speaking. He could loosen their tongue and have them speaking. He could walk up to a tomb and he could say, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus would come forth. He could look at a group of hungry people and he could say, feed them. And bless the bread and the fish and feed 5,000 people with the men, women, and the children. He could calm a raging sea with a word. He could win any argument anybody put before him. He could outwit anybody. See, he walked the earth, and yes, did he do the Father's will? Yes. Was it always convenient? I'm sure not. But he always did the Father's will. But now he comes to a point in his life where the man within him, the flesh within him, screams, no, no, I don't want this. And the real test of his obedience, the real proof of his submission is going to happen right in this moment. Jesus, will you do what I'm telling you to do, knowing the cost of it? And even though everything in you says no, will you do it? He's come to that place now where Oh yeah, he's been obedient. He's followed the Father. He's done everything the Father wants. There's never been a disagreement. There's never been, so to speak, a crossword between them. He's done everything the Father has told him to do. But now he's being asked to do something that is just impossible for his flesh to do. Do you know that obedience isn't really learned until we're doing the thing we don't want to do? Let me explain that to you. <clears throat> you know, you parents that have got small children. If you say to your child, listen, here's, here's well, it's probably five years, you have to give them another, here's five years, go and buy yourself ice cream. Go and buy ice cream. 
The child doesn't say, oh, do I have to? No, listen, they're gone. They're skipping out the door <clears throat> to buy the ice cream because you know what? That's something they want to do. And a lot of times, uh, the, <clears throat> the, the, the areas that we have to obey in are things that we want to do anyway. We're kind of happy to do them. Right? <clears throat> but <clears throat> sometimes... And sometime for all of us, there's coming a time when he's going to ask us to do something that's not fun. Something that goes against the grain. Something that your flesh says, no thank you. I don't want to do that. And you know, it's easy for you and I to say we're obedient when we do all the things that are comfortable for us to do, convenient for us to do. But obedience is going to be tested in the moment when we're asked to do that which we don't want to do, that which our flesh screams against, that which there's a, there's a war that goes on inside of us over. See, <clears throat> that's what happened in Jesus in the garden. There was a war. There was a full-pitched battle. There was Jesus, the human being, the 100% man, the flesh and blood person, that if you pricked him with, an, with, a, with a needle, he would bleed and there was Jesus, the God-man, and they battled to do what's right, to yield, to submit, to obey in that moment. And you know, in each of our lives, there are those moments. They don't always come with, you know, <clears throat> great pomp and circumstance and bells ringing and uh, people all involved. And sometimes they come quietly to you in the just in the quiet of the night and in the quiet of the day when it's just you and God on your own and God says, will you do this? And you know, <clears throat> you can say no to him. Jesus could have said no. Remember the disciples said to him, <clears throat> you know, well, let's fight them. And Jesus said, don't, listen, what do you mean? Don't, don't you think I could call 10,000 angels? I could call 12 legions of angels and they, <clears throat> they, they, they would come and free me? Don't you think I could ask the Father and he would do that? It wasn't like the father was making him go through this. It wasn't like he was being strong-armed. He had a choice. He had a free will. Just like you and I have a choice of a free will. And God asks us to obey. And your obedience doesn't get tested till it's what you don't want to do. And I think way too often our idea of Christianity is something that's kind of fun and easy and it's going to make me a happy life and bless me and things are going to work out well for me and I won't have to do anything hard. You got it wrong. You got it wrong. There's, there's going to be hard things to do. There's going to be hard things to do. And you're going to have those times when your flesh says, no, but I want. That's what Jesus is doing right now. But he comes to the right conclusion. He comes nevertheless. Not my will but thine be done. Verse 43 says this, <clears throat> And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Do you know that once he made the decision that he was going to obey, God sent an angel to strengthen him, to help him? Because he knew how rough it was going to be. He knew how hard it was going to be. But once, once Jesus cried out to the Father, and, <clears throat> and, <clears throat> and uh, he submitted in his heart, the Father sent an angel. Do you know that whenever you agree to obey God, you're going to find an angel? Do you know that he doesn't leave you on your own to go through it? That whenever you 
battle within yourself and come to the place where you say yes to God and, okay, I will do what you want me to do. Whenever you come to that place where you finally give in, where you yield and you say yes to the hard thing that you don't want to do, that the Spirit of God will be there with you to help you and to enable you. But God won't force you. I think way too often in the quiet moments in our hearts between us and God, people say no to God. And in their hearts, they walk away. Because God asks something hard of you. God asks, some, God asks you to love somebody who's unlovable. God asks you to forgive when you've been deeply hurt. God asks you to do something for him. God asks you to stop doing something that's wrong. And You know, we wrestle in our flesh and we give in to the flesh and we say no. And I think we never know the power of Christianity because we're not willing to say yes, Lord. I will. I don't know how I'm going to do it, Lord, but I will. And you know what? God is there. He helps us. Christianity is a supernatural faith. It's a supernatural relationship with the living God that when you and I are willing to actually obey him, he's there. He's there in power and in might. And he enables us to do things that are impossible for us to do. That's what Jesus <clears throat> did. Verse 44, and he, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Folks, that's not fun. That's feeling it before you feel it. Now, <clears throat> he learned obedience in those moments. He cried out to his father, and his father heard him. But he said, no, son, this is my will. This is what we have planned. This is what you must do. And so he yielded to it, knowing what it would cost him. Philippians 2.7 says, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. He humbled himself and he became obedient. Now, <clears throat> what did the cross mean to Jesus? Let's just take a few moments and look at what it meant to him. First of all, Jesus, for the first time in eternity, had to take on sin. Now, you and I live in a sin-cursed world and we're sinners by nature, and that's no big deal for us. But it was for Jesus. He'd never known sin. He'd never known what it was to rebel against his father. He'd never known what it was uh, to do anything wrong. Never. Even his birth was miraculous. He was born of a virgin, so he wouldn't be touched with sin. There was nothing of his life. In all the life that he lived in the, in the world, he never sinned. Satan pummeled him, pounded him, harassed him, harangued him, tried to get him to do something, to slip one way or the other, and couldn't do it. He never sinned. He was perfectly pure, clean, white, fresh. And do you know that when he went to the cross, he took a bath in our sin, and he carried it with him? Let me give you a, a, a picture. How many of you have ever seen a pig pen, a pig house? Well, you seen a pig house? 
Pretty places, aren't they? Uh, <clears throat> doesn't matter how often you clean them, they're still pig houses. <clears throat> and, um, <clears throat> you know, they're vile places. How much would we have to pay you for you to spend a night in a pig house with the pigs? We couldn't spend you, pay you enough, could we? There's no way. It's just filth. There's no way you want the smell. There's no way you want the pigs. There's no way you want any of them. Listen, that's nothing by comparison to what Jesus did when he took on your sin and mine. All the sins of every wicked thing that's ever been done in this world was put on Jesus. That's what the cross meant. For someone so pure, never mind the weight of the cross, the weight of the sin, how did he ever get from the judgment hall to Calvary? Just, just the weight of the filth of the sin meant also the victory of his enemies. You know, <clears throat> there are people in life that make, the, make themselves your enemies. And they are the people you do your very best never to be vulnerable with, yeah? You never put yourself in the place where you're vulnerable with those people because you avoid it for all your worth because that is just humiliating in the extreme and un uncomfortable in the extreme. See, see you, don't, you don't ever get there. You know, the, the Pharisees, the priests, the, they, they, they'd won. That's what they wanted all along. They wanted them dead. They, they gave them to the Romans to kill them. They wanted them dead. And when he hung on a cross, his enemies had won. Now, <clears throat> humanly speaking, we all understand that's hard to bear. That's very hard to bear. <clears throat> and then he had the mocking of cruel and brutal men, the Roman soldiers. He's at their mercy. He was a piece of meat that was going to be dead in a few hours. So they played with him for a while. That's what the crown of thorns was. They just played with him. <clears throat> they, 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 they just had some fun. They treated him brutally. Brutal, bloody man whose business was death. And they played with Jesus for a while. Then there was the agony of the lash, the thorns, the nails, the cross. All of that was agony like we can't imagine. More than all of it, though, was the wrath of his Father. When Jesus looked for the face of the Father that he had always found perfect love and perfect unity with, not only did the Father turn away, but he poured his wrath on Jesus. Jesus bore all the wrath for your sin and my sin. God looked on him and he gave it all to him. No longer the loving father, but wrath from the one he loved perfectly and who had always loved him perfectly too. Wrath. 
That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because the wrath that you and I deserve was poured down on him. And then one final thought. He did it all alone. So alone. His disciples all fled. Now I know he, he knew they would. He'd prophesied they would. He knew they were going to, to run. He knew they were going to cut and run. But it would have been so nice in those moments to have someone that would, you could look to and would be there with you. Well, there was nobody. And you know, <clears throat> there are moments in your life and my life like that too, aren't there? Well, it's just us. It's just you. But you know there's a difference between us and him. Does he ask you to suffer? Yeah, he does. Christianity's not a cakewalk. Christianity's not all the things that you'd like it to be. Jesus learned obedience to become the author of salvation. Uh, he was perfected uh, by suffering and he became the author of salvation and 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 he asks us to go through hard things. But you know the difference is? You'll never go through it alone. Never. Because he says, he makes you a promise. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I was forsaken of all. I was forsaken of the Father. I was forsaken of my, <clears throat> my disciples. I was forsaken of everybody. But you'll never go through it alone. You see, he learned obedience. He came to the place where he demonstrated the reality of what was already in him. He obeyed to the bitter end. He did it in the cold, dark, on his own, with the wrath of God. But because he did, I'll never be asked of you. Because he did, he will always be with you. And I understand that maybe you're going through some hard things right now, <clears throat> and I understand that maybe you're going to go through some hard things in the future. But you have a promise. You have a Savior. You have, for the Jew, a high priest that says, I will be with you. You will be okay. I will go through this thing with you. I won't leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you. And he's not just talking about being there to pat you on the shoulder. He's talking about being there for you. He's talking about being there to help. Remember we looked last week, <clears throat> we're not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are and yet without sin. What does he say? He says, therefore, we can come boldly before the throne of grace to receive help in time of need. You know, because of what Jesus bore for you, you never have to go alone, ever. He's taken it all. He's paid the price. He's uh, done all of it. Now, <clears throat> let me just give you the last verse here. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him called of God and high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, unto all them that obey him. Who are those that obey him? He's talking chiefly here about the gospel. What does it mean to obey the gospel? 
means for you and I to come to the place where we recognize we're sinners and what we've just talked about was for me. No, my sin is not some little <clears throat> faux pas that I made that, you know, needs to be cleaned up. It's not some milk I spilled in the kitchen. No, my sin was so grave and so awful that Jesus had to go and pay for it. But you know what? <clears throat> when I come to the place where I see my sin and I see my Savior and I trust in Him, you know what? That's obeying the gospel. That's coming to the place where you receive Him as your Savior. And that's what gets somebody to heaven, understanding they're a sinner, understanding they need a Savior and trusting Him with their sin. And if you've not done that, do you think you can escape if you ignore so great salvation? Do you honestly think there's something else for you? Do you think somehow you're going to find a different way? Do you think somehow you're going to ignore what Jesus has done and say, yeah, I know, but it's not for me? Well, listen, God doesn't make sacrifices like that for no reason. He would be a monster if he did. He sacrificed his son because the only way you and I could go to heaven is through him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man. There is no other way. If you, if you haven't come to the place where you've trusted him, listen, you need to run to him today. Because you can't, you can't play with this thing. He's done it all. Don't play with it. Run to him. Secondly, if you're here and you're a believer, listen, do you think you can escape suffering? Don't we think sometimes we can? Don't we think sometimes we've signed up for the good life? We've signed up for the good life and it's going to be easy, better than everybody else's and we're not going to have suffering. And then, and then we're sideswiped because there's suffering. It's just real. It's there. You know, it's part of life. It's part of living. It's part of being human. There's suffering. There's difficulty. There's problems. There's, sometimes it's pretty intense. Sometimes the disappointments just seem to roll in our lives and the heartache and the broken hearts. Did we really think we were going to escape? Did we think we're better than him? You know, Paul said this. Paul said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And I wish he left it there. Because I, I can agree. Hey, you know what? That's me. I, I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection. But do you know what the rest of the verse is? And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Do you know if you want to know Jesus, this is the Jesus you've got to know. And if you want to know Jesus, what's going to happen is there's going to be times of suffering. There's going to be times of difficulty. Right now there probably are. And you see, when it comes to the time of suffering in your life, there's two ways you can go with it. You can say yes and you can say no. There's a battle that goes on inside of you. You can either say yes to God or you can say no. Jesus could have said yes and Jesus could have said no. But he battled. And his spirit won. And he said yes. And aren't we so glad he did? 
Aren't we so glad he went all the way? We wouldn't be here today doing what we're doing if it wasn't for that. There's a battle that goes on inside you, and God wants you to do what he wants you to do. And do you know this, that I have perfect confidence in the Holy Spirit to tell each one of you what he wants you to do? I don't think it depends on your hearing. I think the Holy Spirit's alive and well and able to say what he wants you to do. And you know, the Holy Spirit tells us what to do, and there are those moments when it's between us and him, and he says, will you? But if I do it, it might mean suffering. Yeah, it might. And you've got to make a choice. It's not what you want. But you see, obedience never is until it's you doing what he wants and not what you want. It takes no nothing for a child to submit to buying ice cream. And when God deals with you and asks you to do something, it'll not be what you want. And you'll have a choice to make. And let me say this to you. There are defining moments in our lives. God never casts us off. He didn't even cast the nation of Israel off. He never casts us off. But there are defining moments in our lives when God comes to you and God says to you, will you do what I want you to do? You can say yes and you can say no. And I think you can say no and almost forget it ever happened and just carry on in your life. But it's been a defining moment in your relationship with him. And God seems dull and far away, and you wonder, what's his problem? Well, he doesn't have a problem. You do. You need to say yes. And in those moments when God comes to you and asks you, will you do what I want you to do? You need to always say yes. You say, but it's hard. Yeah, I know it's hard. You say, but it can cause suffering. I I know it can. But you know what? Would you rather walk your life on your own and try and avoid suffering, which you can't anyway? Or would you rather walk your life with your hand in his? With someone there to help you, to strengthen you, to encourage you, to lift you up, to not take the pain away necessarily, but to be with you in it. Which do you want? I want him. I think you do too. question for you is, though, are you brave enough to say yes to him? Are you brave enough to trust him and say yes to him? I will do it. What issue is there in your heart right now and God is saying, Say yes to me on this. Say yes, you will. What what issue is there there? It's not a small issue, no matter how small it seems. What issue is there in your heart today? And Jesus says, say yes to me. Would you give in? Would you say yes? Would you yield? Would you obey? Don't worry about the cost. He'll be there to help you. You just say yes. You're here this morning and he's dealing with you as far as salvation is concerned. Maybe you've fought him. Maybe you've kind of hung back. Maybe you said, I don't want it. And you've got all the kinds of reasons in the world why you wouldn't. Would you give in today? Because trust me, there's no better choice coming your way. It's impossible. 
What better could you have than Jesus? See, these poor Jews were thinking of walking away. They were thinking of going their own way. And they were thinking of going back to the old way because it was comfortable, it was easy. And the writer is saying, no, 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 no. Look what you'll be missing. Same could be said to us today. If you turn away, look what you'll be missing. Look at the price he paid for you. Look at the promise he gives you. And say yes to him. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this people, and we thank you for your word, and we do thank you for the sacrifice of the cross. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you sweep into this room and do the work that only you can do? Lord, in every life there are moments that are more important than others. And Lord, I think in this room there are some of those moments right now. Would you touch your people and help them to see what they need to do? And Lord, would you give them courage to say yes to you? And oh Lord, would you bless that we might be obedient people? If there's one here, Lord, that would say, I I don't know you, Lord, would you convince that one of their need that they might trust you this day? Now, Lord, would you bless in Jesus' precious name.